A warm greetings to all the listeners on Luton Urban Radio, LUR Live. You're listening to McConnell Sankofa. I am the author of the book, The Rise of Rastafari, and also Life in Gambia, as well as the host of the Black Book Show. Coming up in the show for the next couple of hours, it will feature a special in-depth interview with me talking about my debut book, The Rise of Rastafari, um, on... The Saturday, the 23rd of July, is the Erstrong of His Imperial Majesty Haile Selassie. And I thought we fitting to dedicate this show to the Rastafari movement as we, uh, followers of the Rastafari movement, um, have, you know, um, promoted, you know, the works of His Majesty um, all over the globe and the significance of Haile Selassie to the Rastafari movement, uh, which I'll go on to talk about in the interview coming up. The interview that I did was with uh, Rakim Shabazz, and it was done on Wise the Dome TV. And um, he recently interviewed me about the, you know, the book, The Rise of Rastafari, trying to get more insight into, you know, what is Rastafari, what is the values, what is the, you know, the relevance of Haile Selassie, um, uh, what are some of the misconceptions. And, you know, we went on to talk about various different aspects of Rastafari. So it was a really, really good in-depth interview with uh, Rakim Shabazz. So what I'm going to do now is I'm actually going to play back that interview so you listeners on Luton Urban Radio can hear about it. You know, the book, The Rise of Rastafari, what what made you, you know, what made you want to pick this as a topic um, to write about? Well, the reason I wrote this book is I've been at Rasta for about 10 years now. I'm 31 since I was around, you know, in my early 20s, about 21, 20. And what really frustrates me is the lack of knowledge and the ignorance that people um, have about Rastafari, particularly, you know, people of African heritage, and we, we should know better, um, particularly, you know, if you've got, you know, um, Caribbean heritage, because, you know, the, the movement where it sprung about in the Caribbean, particularly the island of Jamaica. And when people think about Rastafari, the things that they normally think about that come to the head is, is you know, locks, smoking ganja, mm -hmm. vegetarianism, and, and Bob Marley, yeah? So there's a gross misconceptions about Rastafari and what it is. And oft, often people outside of the movement are defining what Rastafari is. So with this book, one of the main things I wanted to do was dispel a lot of the common misconceptions that people have about Rastafari. So people need to know that it's, you know, not every Rastafari has locks, yeah? I, I, I don't have locks, for example, I'm a Rasta. And the people that started the movement, such as like Leonard Howe, Joseph Hibbert, Robert Hines, Archibald Dunkley, the founding fathers, they didn't have locks. It's not to say that locks are not important to the movement, but I'm just putting things into context. Um, a lot of, not every Rasta smokes ganja, yeah? Not every Rasta is a, a vegetarian. You also, you have different groups um, within Rastafari. So people have got different views, even on how they view His Majesty, Haile Selassie. Not every Rasta thinks that Haile Selassie is a re reincarnation of Jesus Christ or, or God. So there are many different ways in how people look at Rastafari. You have people, you know, that are more coming from that kind of, from that, that pan-Africanism and African spirituality, which is more where I come into Rastafari, more from a black conscious perspective. You have people that are more into, say, you know, the cultural elements of Rastafari, such as, you know, what, that, like locks, Ital food, and, 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 and more into, you know, the way of, uh, the liberty, the way of life. And you have, also you have Rastas that are more biblical, that validate, you know, the movement through the Bible. So, 
you have, and some of them cross over, uh, over as well, but you have, you know, different people who look at people in a different way. And this is why you have different groups. You have, let's say, 12 tribe, you have um, Boba Shanti, you have Naya Bingi, you have the, the Howlites, the first Rastas, you have even different groups that people don't understand because people try to put Rasta in one bracket, like every Rasta must do this, every Rasta must do that, or every all Rastas do this, which isn't the truth. You could go to um, South Africa, now and you'll find different groups different sectors of Rastafari right? you can go to Jamaica and there's so many different you can go to um, other all of other parts of Africa you can go to England and there's so many different groups and even people within the same group yeah that see things slightly different so what I find is people People like tend to put Rastafari in just you know the same all but they're all the same boat. It's all Rastas do this, and I've actually you know I it's great I've educated people about this book because there's some people that before you know reading this book didn't even know that all Rastas don't smoke ganja. Yeah, so yeah. people didn't know that you know the first that the, all, all Rastas don't have locks. People don't uh, are very are knowledgeable about this, and what. Um, I wanted to do as well is I wanted to highlight, you know, the, the, the principles because there are some things, you know, in, in Rastafari which are really the cornerstone of the movement. And what I find is that um, ones, particularly nowadays, ones are come when they come into Rastafari, they don't necessarily come in from, you know, the Afrocentric perspective. They're coming in more of from, you know, the culture because, uh, you know, they maybe they, they see locks and they want to have locks or because of, you know, um, vegetarianism. And there's an item of vegetarianism is different and I'll explain that later. But because of vegetarianism, not even necessarily ital, but um, because of, you know, what reggae music. So they, they're gravitating to the culture but they're not actually understanding what the key pillars and the principles of Rastafari is. And then on the other um, perspective, you have ones that are coming into Rastafari from purely from like the religious perspective and, and, and Bible and just validating Haile Selassie, you know, uh, um, through, through the Bible. But what often happens is the whole reason the movement started is an anti-systematic movement that started in Jamaica in the, in the 1930s that arose about um, a descendants of enslaved Africans that were you know, taken from um, largely West Africa and other parts of Africa as well, like Central Africa, but mainly like West Africa, places like Ghana, the Gambia, where I am today, um, you know, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, places along the west coast of Africa and, and, and um, taken to the Caribbean. And during that time, you know, they had the whole, you know, their identity, their culture, their language, everything was, you know, stripped off, not just the physical um, damage, you know, of being brutalization of being on the plantation and the treatment, but also the, the minds of the people, the, the, the mental enslavement. So you're talking about, you know, 400 years of, of you know, oppression of a people. Mm -hmm. So when this movement, you know, arose up in 1930s Jamaica, it was re re rising up here yeah, to reconnect black people with the African roots and the African culture and history that, you know, that had been lost. And this is a key point because a lot of people, when they come into Rastafari, and this is why the book's important, uh, or a lot of people, when they think of Rastafari, they don't quite understand the genesis. And if you don't understand the genesis and the origins of something, you will never understand what something is. So, like I said, people are just coming in through, you know, locks or ital or, or, or vegetarianism or, you know, because, you know, um, oh, Haile Selassie, the scriptures in the Bible, they're trying to validate Haile Selassie, but they're not understanding, you know, the context of the time and why the purpose of the Rastafari movement in the first place because the purpose of the Rastafari movement was to free the minds of black people who was who, who was in a very colonized mind Jamaica even though was was a store colony until um, 1960 
1963. It's still arguably, you know, you know, in, in, people say it's still a colony now because you know the head of state is still the Queen of England. That's something that uh, some people are trying to change. But you know, the argument is still it is a British colony because you've got a Governor General in Jamaica, um, which is basically their allegiance. You know, the British Privy Council is you know is the have the last say in, in legal affairs in Jamaica. But what I'm trying to say is that. When you um, look at what the, the importance of Rastafari, it was you know to try to connect people of African heritage in the diaspora, particularly the island of Jamaica, because that's where the movement emerged, and to get them you know to start to be um, being proud to be black or proud to be African, because at the time they was in an inferiority complex where you know things white were good, things you know European um, was you know seen as as the as the golden standard, and things Africa was denigrated. Um, so Rastafari come and said, no, you know, we are Af texture of our hair. Not sure hair. Yeah. We are proud, you know what, effectively to call ourselves African. And this, this is uh, where how basically the Rastafari movement emerged. It, the significance of Haile Selassie, because um, I think this is something as well that a lot of people don't fully understand because they don't look at Rastafari from a black you know power perspective mm. and in my book I define Rastafari is a movement it is a it is a black nationalist movement with a spiritual nucleus yeah and w when the concept of Haile Selassie when he was sorry let me go into why he was crowned emperor of Ethiopia in 1930 the significance of that is that it gave black people a memory that they can connect themselves with history because coming out, out of you know what um the descendants of enslaved africans they were wiped away with history they wasn't told anything about africa so muta baruka is a, is a rastafari that's inspired me a lot and you know he always says you know africa history didn't start as slavery slavery interrupted africa history so it gave memory that you know there were civilizations you know we are we are royal people we come from kings and queens i mean and you know you have you know say the timbuktu you have ancient egypt you have the great zimbabwe you just so we're on, on them kind of levels there but a lot of Russians don't see understand it from this this um perspective but when Haile Sassi was crowned Ethiopia was the only um African um sorry all the other countries in Africa you know were had been colonies uh, by, by, the, by the British at some point or a Liberia was a colony of USA um, but you're looking at basically the whole continent effectively being in colonial control of you know um some kind of powers of Europe whether it be England France um Portugal Belgium Spain um and Haile Selassie the significance of a, a you know a black monarch at a time where people in the Caribbean hadn't seen a black king or queen before. They'd never been taught anything about a black king. So this is the first, again, context of the time. This is the first time they're seeing a black king. And those people at the time there were, you know, they were used to praising the English king, King George, yeah? And also in spirituality, for example, um, they, you know, they were used to um, praising you know, a white, you know, this whole white Christ, and for example. So the significance of, you know, Haile Selassie, you know, in saying that, you know, we have um, a royalty to look forward in, in, in Africa and Ethiopia. Um, and then this concept of, you know, God and King in Haile Selassie was created. Haile Selassie was a king. That's not, um, that's something that was, he was crowned Emperor of Ethiopia in 1930. Um, and that represented a symbol, you know, of black pride and, 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 and independence. And, you know, Lena Howe, who's known, you know, as the, as the first Rasta. Now, there were other Rastas that come before Lena Howe, but they don't, you know, they they have their names are not quite as as, as prevalent, but Lena Howe is known as the first 
Rasta, and he's the one out of the early Rasta, the one that practiced it the best. But you still have Joseph Hibbert, Robert Heinrich, Wood Dunkley, where he had the biggest following, put it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, Lena Howe, what he was trying to do in create this concept of Gordon King and Haile Selassie, because a lot, you know, a lot of the early Rastas, they were Garviites, they were coming out of Marcus Garvey's organization. Mm-hmm. And Howe had a close uh, relationship with, with Marcus Garvey. And Marcus Garvey, you know, was, has, was always been saying, you know, the time has come, you know, for black people to look at our own self divinity within we must you know um start to look at our own you know heroes and martyrs and you, you know we must also have a, a concept of god as, as a black person as a black man because um there, there was along the lines of something in the philosophies of Mark, and opinions of marcus garvey where he says that you know if the white man has got a an image of a white god let him be if the yellow man's created the image of a yellow god um let that be but we should worship an image of god in our, in our own reflection in, in our in ourselves um, as, as an African, and that's why the, this concept of Haile Selassie, you know, as a, as Golden King was created to say that, you know, we must see divinity within, you know, just like other people are worshipping gods and things of, of their selves, it's to say that, you know, we can see God within ourselves, and to see God in the physical manifestation of man, to say, that's what I say, I know, when you look at a man, you can look at someone else, you can say, the God within I, and that is really the concept and the power of Rastafari to say that in, and a consciousness to say that, you know what, we are taking, we are taking our power back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that we are creating this own, you know, we're going to have our own concept of God because, and we're going to, you know, base this, our spirituality, yeah, based on our own history, our own culture and who we are as a people instead of, you know, what, following you know a eurocentric um version of christianity which is what most black people which were which were following at the time because you know they were coming out of um chris christianity um and you know yes it's in terms of christianity um it existed in africa before albeit not under that necessarily same name and i'm talking about scripture and um you know parts of the mythology of christianity so i'm not saying that christianity just came in slavery but however it didn't exist in the way it, it did and, and it wasn't uh, it, the way it was brought onto them was completely different in terms of this you know eurocentric version that's why you have like the white christ for example that most, most a lot of people were looking uh, looking up to and christianity didn't quite penetrate it wasn't like in africa the same way it, how we see it today right. until like you know people um the colonizers and ministry ministers come so basically what i'm trying to say we had this you know what this um Uranized, europeanized version of, of, of christianity that had been forced on the head of their people to really elevate white people and what you find is that with black people um often when we come into other religions we've got whatever it is christianity islam etc most black people they give they it's at the expense of their african identity at the expense of you know the african um spirit um spirituality um whereas most other people when like for example with white people in christianity they it, it, they use it to enhance them they create their god in their image and it's used to enhance them for whatever they want to do colonial conquest enslavement whatever when asians in are practicing islam they do not do away with african i mean sorry with islamic with asian culture they do it they they put the two together yeah to, in, to enhance it yeah but when we as black people when we come into any kind of other spirituality or religion when we come in christianity islam a lot of our people it's like we don't fully it's like we um it de- we, we they lose that you know the african concept at, yeah, at, we, at the expense of it into the people that actually we turn into we a lot of times what i've seen we like we attempt to become the hebrew we attempt to become the arab Right, instead of mm-hmm. practicing the religion in our own way, which would allow us to keep our own ways and customs as well. The, you know what I mean? Because that's your identity. Yeah, exactly. And 
that key part of the Rastafari is all about you know, that identity, an identity which was taken away from um, from slavery and into colonialism. And you know, for us, you know, again, to see ourselves as African, um, when the movement rose about in 1930s in, in the Caribbean and Jamaica, you couldn't say to people, to the average person, you know, you're African. To this day, you can't say to a lot of Caribbean people in Jamaica, you know, you're African. Yeah. So. Um, in, in terms of, you know, changing the mind of, you know, how we look at Africa. And this is a big piece, part of the reason why I wrote the book. And this is why the Rahal Rastafari movement has contributed and going again onto the purpose of the movement, because um, it was to get ourselves, you know, to look at ourselves in a, you know, in a different way in terms of being proud of our, you know, our, our skin colour, regardless of whether it's, you know, light brown to dark black, because we come in different shades and diff as black people. We're not just one black people with the same kind of features or whatever. And, and I think sometimes when people think about Africa, we need to realise that Africa, you know, has people of, you know, different complexions and different ethnic groups, etc. But being proud, you know, of our features, being proud of our, our, our hair texture, our hair, um, our hair. That's why, you know, when lots come into the Rastafari movement in the mid-50s, from um, it was the Mau Mau's in Kenya um, who were fighting the British to get independence. And, you know, the Jamaicans, the Rastafarians, they saw imagery of the, the, the Mau Mau warriors um, who were fighting to get independence. And then that's where they, they copied the, 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 the locks from, from that. And then they started to, some, some of them started to style their locks from that. That's not to say, though, that locks didn't exist. Locks existed, you know, has, has been around for thousands of years in Africa, the ancient Egypts, etc. So Rasta doesn't have any copyright, you know, on locks. Yeah. But Rastafari has popularised the locks uh, or dread, dreadlocks, some people say dreadlocks or, or locks, but Rastafari has popularised locks more than any other group of people. And to the point where people used to say, you know, your locks are dreadful and this, that and the other, where people now are embracing it. So much people, not everyone is like, people used to, you know, Rastas used to get, in walking down the street, people used to run down Rastas and try and cut off their locks. Mm. And and all the kind of persecution um, that was against Rastas for locks and other reason. But now, you know what you see, you know, so many people, most people see people, people see them conscious, a lot of them are wearing locks and, it, and it's embraced now. So Rasta has played, a, you know, a key role in, you know, how we, what we we think about ourselves repatriation which is one of the main pillars of rastafari right and um i can't stress how much of an important point rastafari uh, repatriation is if it wasn't for rastafari a lot of us wouldn't even be in africa today because it's rastafari that have been at the forefront in saying that you know we should look towards repatriation and going back to africa now even though howell um didn't repatriate and, and marcus garvey marcus garvey wasn't a rasta but a lot of his teachings is in line with the movement yeah. but them and a lot of the early other Rastas didn't repatriate but their intention was to repatriate but because of like the persecution and the things that were put in place they weren't quite able to to, to make it but re repatriation is one of the key um pillars of Rastafari right because we look literally we look at the western world as hell and and Africa as, as you know our, our heaven and on earth our heaven is not in the sky but it's you know it's in it's it's, it's, it's Africa and it's a, it's a place um, you know, the place that we up, up before our ancestors were, were kidnapped and taken, where not, uh, our, our people were living um, in um, a lot, had a lot more peaceful life than we've seen what our people have gone through in the Western world. That's not to say Africa doesn't have challenges and, and issues. Many of the issues and problems that are in place are in place because of, you know, Europeans and Arabs anyway. Right. So repatriation is very, very a very important element of Rastafari and, and it's one of the key well, um, yeah, the key pillars of Rastafari and, 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 and you know, one of the main goals is to repatriate to, is repatriate to Africa. Nation building is also a very important um, part of Rastafari and then that all kind of fits into repatriation and, you know, also you've got black love and unity, but nation building. So 
Howell built Pinnacle in, you know, between 1941 and 1958, you know, Pinnacle, that's the, the, the main years where Pinnacle was, you know, was basically, um, was, yeah, was thriving anyway. Um, now, in Pinnacle is a, a commune in St. Catherine, Jamaica, and it housed thousands of Rastafarians. Some of them were like skilled craftsmen, some of them were tradesmen, yeah. People had different skill sets. Yeah, some of them, you know, um, grew ganja and sold it to the marketplaces. But not everyone in Pinnacle was, you know, um, selling ganja. But you had people from different skill sets, and also sometimes professional people as well. And these people had money. And this is something as well that's important because the, the, what a lot of people think of Rasta, the imagery of Rasta, for example, they just see it as poor people that you know and, and that look scruffy and this that and the other. Where sometimes it's the origins of Rasta is quite contrast because these Pinnacle people, Pinnacle these thousands of people they had money they banked their own um money in pinnacle pinnacle was like a safe haven it was a it was a community of people that lived together and you know so it, the, the profits they made so much profits that Leonard Howard used to go around the streets of Jamaica and give out money to the people suffering in poverty so um in terms of you know being the most self-sufficient community in the island of, of, of Jamaica, um, the reason why Pinnacle was destroyed because it was you know raided several times by the by the police, the colonial government who couldn't you know take you know these freed African enslaved Africans you know being independent you know on the island of Jamaica. So the government tried to suppress it. So there was constant raids on Pinnacle. In 1955 was one of the big raids on Pinnacle, and then a lot of people that wasn't already basically didn't already have to leave Pinnacle in 1955 because of the raid. Most of them dispersed in 1958, but there was constant persecution and suppression against Rastafari. Not just for Pinnacle was one example, but in Rastafari as a whole. We mentioned, you know, the um, you know uh, Rastas who had um, uh, who have had lots of been persecuted for having lots. But even going on to how and the early founders, the, the movement has been persecuted from the inception. The man, those people there were lots men, but you know they Leonard Howe was arrested so many times. He was put into Bellevue mental asylum um and he was really you know he the, the the colonial government was really you know trying to um take take howell down yeah and all of the other like, like hibbert hines and dunkley the ones that are known as the founding fathers of rastafari they were all arrested yeah mm -hmm. so the the persecution of rasta has been for different reasons it's been you know because of the, the colonial government are trying to resist um trying to, to don't want this anti-colonial you know sit um movement you know, to rise up against the people then you have you know some rasta who are lots then you had ganja some rastas were persecuted for ganja even though there's many rastas who don't smoke ganja and right. the police basically um, arrested a lot of innocent Russians who didn't necessarily smoke ganja under false charges as well. And the, the ganja was brought by the Indian indentured laborers when they come to Jamaica after slavery. Um, the Indian indentured laborers um, brought ganja, but it wasn't there wasn't really laws and things in place um, against it. Or it was there was laws, but it wasn't really that you know people really were were, were persecuted um, or arrested until. Rastafari, a certain Rastafari started, had black people started smoking the herb. And then you have, you know, the, the persecution. Um, people that are uh, Christian, Christians have heavily persecuted Rastafari over the years. Um, but, you know, because they've just, well, because of their own, you know, prejudice and, and how, how people look at it. Um, people's ignorance, people not knowing, uh, you know, what it is uh, really good in, in depth. And people just saying, well, look at these people. Why do they, why do they say Selassie is is gone why do these people do this why do these people think that without actually understanding you know truly what the actually movement is about and then you have a lot of people that give misrepresentations of rastafari that don't that say they're rastafari 
but don't you know know anything about you know the values of Rastafari that might just have lots of I live in Gambia now and you know people they just see Rastafari as a hairstyle and people people will claim that they're Rastafari just because they've got lots of their mm. hair or just because you know they they smoke some ganja or they like reggae music and that gives a misrepresentation of Rastafari and it downgrades basically the um, Rastafari as a movement and it, it's almost like a slap in the face because I know it's not intentionally because a lot of it is done a lot of times out of ignorance um but when you have like a, a, black, a black power movement that has you know done so much to try and raise the consciousness levels of our people and then uh, it, it's it's diminished and seen as such so something so low or put in such in in such small things like you know just lots and people eating this kind of food it doesn't do justice to the the, the role rastafara has played in you know in the, the african liberation struggle as, as a whole yeah yeah i mean that's powerful and and you've mentioned uh, it being an anti-colonial movement, right? And um, I think I want to stay there just for a second, um, just because you know we've had throughout uh, the history of Africa and the diaspora, whether it's in you know the Caribbean, uh, United States of America, or or England, just Europe or whatever, we've had plain movements rise up, and then so you know we have these Western powers who were obviously uh, with the Berlin Conference carved up Africa. And, you know, we mentioned um, Ethiopia was one of, was the only nation not to go under colonial rule. Um, with Rastafari being an anti-colonial movement and started as an anti-colonial movement, why do you think now the world the world seems to still not view Rastafara as an anti-colonial, anti-imperialist movement. Um, and I think that's a really big disservice to Rastafara because the same enemy then, imperialism, colonialism, now will show its face with neo-colonialism and the same imperialism under a different form. Um, but why? And how important do you think it is for Rastafari to be seen as an anti-colonial, anti-imperialist movement? I think it's very important because again, this is the, the foundation of what the movement is really about. You know, it is about you know resisting white supremacy. And that's the basically it is about resisting colonialism, but we can say, you know, white supremacy, because that's what it literally was during right. colonialism. And it was really about, you know, combating that. So for when I, I don't see like when, you know, Rasta is drifted away, and we've touched on parts of this earlier, but when people are not seeing it as a movement against the system, against white supremacy, and they're seeing it as this kind of one love movement, or they see it just as a culture, mm. or through just a biblical perspective, it waters down Rastafara, and it doesn't give true justice to it. And there's many reasons why this has happened over the years. One, one has been, you know, the constant suppression, um, the persecution that Rastafara has, has faced. Um, and it, it's, it's just been so severe. I'll mention some examples. You know, in Domin but I can mention one. In, in Dominique, you had the dreadlocks, the dreadlock where, you know, if a Rasta had locks, it could, it could be shot on sight. And um, in, in Jamaica, the Prime Minister, a Buster Manti in 1963 said, um, bringing Rastas in dead or alive, the prison can't hold them from in the cemetery. So, you know, that was after incident in Coral Gardens. Um, and I think because of what Rasta has gone through, so much of the heavy, uh, the heavy persecution, um, you know, some of the, say, the people that have been um, 
like, that are more into you know, the African consciousness and etc. It's, it's been watered down because you know people have struggled. Maybe some some of them haven't necessarily like to get jobs, for example, and some of them have maybe had to you know um, I, I want to say maybe had to adopt, particularly when you're living in the west of England, for example, because of the environment that they're living in. And I think that's had a, a big difference. And then people, particularly in England, America's slightly different, but England is heavily integrated in terms of, you know, white and black people. So the more I think black people as well are mixed with white people, I think the more, and, and certain rasters are, are mixing white people, they start to look at white people in a different way, where if the actual, if they actually looked at the root of it, for example, it was like the, the man in the early Russell, they were saying that white people were the devil. Like they, this is that true Rastafari in its original, in original sense. So when Russell's now coming and saying, you know, one love and this kind of stuff, and let's get to be all night, be all right. It, it's, it's, that's not Rastafari. And that's, and this is part of it. And, and, and you know, it's been infiltrated. Like this is part of the, the hippie type of movement. Yeah, infiltration, and to the point where you go to a reggae festival, and then you see, you know what, white people in in locks, you know, what, dancing up and down, talking Bob Marley, etc. And this is like a cultural rape. About you know, black people have allowed, have allowed it in so many areas because it's a cultural rape. Because I really do feel away when I see, go to see Italy, uh, an Italian man or Spanish man talking about Rastafari, in, and he's defining it in reggae music and ganja. Yeah, right. Right. when you, as a descendant of an enslaved African, yeah. And 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 you know it's it's a black thing where it comes from the origins of Rastafari, right? And then that misrepresentation though of a, of of that German or Italian or whatever is is and then that person then puts it out as this is what Rastafari is, and then he's even telling other black people this this is what it's like. You know what? It's like the slave. It's almost like the, the children of the slave masters are now, are now trying to tell um you know the descendants yeah. of these slaves about their, their, their own experience their own thing mm. and this is why i said white person cannot be a rasta and this is part of the reason which is why people don't look at it as an anti-systematic movement because you have certain particularly certain organizations like 12 tribe and other organizations other group that are like for example have a lot of white people in there and, and a lot of rastas have allowed it and then if you're talking say it's an anti-systematic movement it's a, you know it's a it's a um anti-white movement etc or anti-white supremacy movement or say anti-white anti-white supremacist um but then you've got you know the the you know the descendants of the slave uh, masters, children in in there, and you know, and 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 you're mi- and it's like, and it's in the mixing. It's like white people can't understand Rastafari. They can support it and respect it, you know, just like the Black Panther. They can support and respect where it's for black people trying, you know, fight for our rights, etc. But they can't be Rastafari because the experience of you know, the, um, African descendants of enslaved Africans is a unique is an experience as you unique and not just the the, the um, experience of just slavery because not, none of us were actually there during slavery. But I mean the constant um experience in so many different ways whether it's the family structure whether it's you know the way that we look at um spirituality you know what whether it is is you know whether it's like our values and our, our culture our identity in so many elements you know the transatlantic slavery trade um or the genocide has had so much um things which still basically exist in our people today and and, and in, in in a lot of different elements and not the constant also even after in terms of colonialism the constant suppression of black people whether that is even it's certainly colonial jamaica where you're looking at the Russian movement started but we could also you can you can um look at say even america so a lot of russians might be in, in america the suppression of um black people in america jim crow civil rights and all of those kind of things uk um, i mentioned Rastafari in england in this book a lot of those from the jamaica the windrush generation the 
between 1948 to 1970, they immigrated, like my grandparents, to England. And in England, a lot of um, youths rose up and came into Russia in the 70s, in, the, in like the 70s, um, because, you know, it was a very hostile and oppressive environment for our people. And again, this is all about, you know, the black experience, for example. So we're talking about Rasafara is birthed out of the black experience. So you then can't have a white person, someone coming from a different heritage or background. Um, and this could apply for, you know what, a, a Japanese person or a Chinese person as, as well. They won't fully grasp it, but I would say to, especially white people because, you know, the movement came about because of oppression by white people. Right. So then when you have white people that are coming into the movement and then they, because they are white, white for example, they, and they haven't experienced what we've experienced. They, they will they they won't fully they can't fully identify the movement on the same levels as a black person can because their experience is different so they're not going to understand it from you know a black and afrocentric perspective they're only going to understand it from like a cultural element of it or from a biblical perspective of rastafari which is not the true essence of rastafari because if it wasn't for you know it's, it's the black consciousness it's the pan-african perspective um part of Af africanism it's, um so the pan-africanism the black consciousness is that that's the root of Rastafari. Had Emperor Haile Selassie not been a, an emperor in, in Ethiopia, if he would have been an emperor in Italy or Spain, no one would have, no one on the first Rastas would have said that, you know, this is the, this is the man that we, sh we should look towards. This is, right. no, no one. So even what, they, what the, um, the early founders were trying to do in trying to resist white supremacy in terms of, you know, unite black people in terms of, you know, building on a, building a nation, not promoting black love, etc. So with the, the mixing of, you know, white people coming into the movement, that has been an infiltration of the movement because it, it's basically then, like we were talking about earlier, you have reggae festivals where white people you know, um, smoke ganja, listen to reggae, and then that's become what it is. And because a lot of black people People are ignorant about Rastafari and they don't know their own history. And, and this crosses black people a lot of things. A lot of our people don't know we should know our own history. They then, you know, even they will take, you know, what they what they've seen from that white person, not even other people that claim they're Rasta, but they're not necessarily the true essence of it. And I find it quite disgraceful that there's so many people that are Jamaicans, yeah. Um, particularly Jamaicans, because, you know, I can understand maybe in someone in USA, you know, why they might not fully know everything about the movement, because it's, it's yes, it's, even though it's a black experience, but our experience is slightly different, you know, so the Caribbean, America, etc. Um, but someone who's got um, Caribbean, and, um, um, Caribbean heritage, particularly Jamaican, yeah, and so many do not know anything about Rastafari on more than a superficial level, more than just on a cultural more, more level. But they don't know, they don't understand how it connects to their history and their identity. Because Rastafari is not, it's a story of us as Caribbean people. It's not, you know, just a story of a few, it, it, it's, it's our story. But, but it's like, just like how we all throw away our own history. This is a prime example. It's like we're throwing away our own story. Right. right. And, and that's, a, you made a, you brought up something that I, I want to kind of explore um, and you, you know, about how, and cause I can say the same about um, here in America about certain movements uh, that were, um, you know, liberation movements in America that people in America just don't, our own people, right? Just don't really know. And sometimes you have to go back and realize that obviously we're being miseducated here in these systems. And there are certain things they would not like us to know which we have to take upon ourselves to study as much as we can, right? Because we can never rely on our oppressor to, 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 you know, to teach us about our own oppression. With that said, you mentioned 
um, you know, Jamaica and Rastafari, but did Rastafari spread to the other islands on the Caribbean? Yeah, Rastafari is not just in Jamaica. So I mentioned Dominica, the, the Dread Act, um, when we was talking about the persecution against Rastafari. Um, but all, all over the other islands, in Barbados, Antigua, Bermuda. Um, so it's not something Trinidad's, and, and Tobago, Trinidad in, has actually got a high population of Rastas. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are Rastas all over the island. Um, I just want to say as well, Chris, um, a lot of people don't understand this, but Jamaica is still majority a Christian country because a lot of people don't know, still think, you know, a lot of people, they don't know much about Jamaica. They think that Rastafari, there's a lot of, it's a big part of the uh, population and, and this, that and the other. But Rastafari is, is, is you know, is, is um, the Christianity is the, is the majority. It does have more numbers than some other, um, it's put in face, but I, I, don't, I don't see Rastafari as a religion, but it's still not the... Um, the, the majority um, in, 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 in Jamaica. And like, like most other Caribbean islands, Rastafari is not the majority in those, in, in those, in those um, other islands. However, um, there are Rastas um, all over the, the, the Caribbean islands, just like there's Rastas all over the world, just and like UK, America, and, um, and all other places, and well, a lot of other places. Do you think, and that's another thing, because, uh, you know, I have friends that are also in West Africa that, you know, tell me about uh, some of the, the, the Rasta presence where they live. Um, do you think the music did help with the spread of Rastafari worldwide, or was it more of, you know, actual Rastas um, leaving the Caribbean and, and going to live other places and bringing the culture with them? I think the reggae music has helped spread Rastafari worldwide. And it's interesting because I want to answer this in two, two things. Like I want to kind of go back to your, your, one of your previous questions that he was asking um, and what was talking about, you know, um, particularly when I was talking about, you know, the, how, the, how the integration has affected the, the Rasta movement where people don't see it as an anti-systematic movement and, and that kind of things. And, you know, Rasta far right and reggae music um they go hand in hand i mean reggae music particularly roots reggae music was birthed out of rastafari um you know artists like bob marley dennis brown bernie spare gregory isaacs etc and even into this day um even though some reggae artists get more criticism today but you know there's still a lot of consciousness in a lot of those reggae songs and inspiring people and a lot of people that will look down on on rastafari love reggae music but it's 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 about rasta reggae music wouldn't be reggae music if it wasn't for rastafari right Right. um but rust reggae has helped spread you know from you know those artists that i've mentioned um and and other many other artists that i haven't mentioned but the the music as a whole for example has you know gone to the four four corners of the earth so to speak and you know people um that may have not necessarily read a, a, a book or listen, listen to someone, um, uh, reason with someone, but they, you know, listen to, to the music and then they've inspired of Rastafari. But the danger is that you listen to the music, but that's almost like the introduction in, or maybe in, in, in you just basically discovering something or you listen to the music, but then you, it goes further from there. So it's not, you just listen to the music because this is what happened, particularly I think in the in England in like the 70s, 70s and 80s. A lot of them just listened to Bob Marley, you know, on music, but they didn't really 
go further in depth into it or they just had sound system around them yeah and they didn't just basically music people uh, music people or reggae rusters but you really it needs to become more so you seek in more knowledge so i think the reggae has helped spread it on the continent because you know reggae music is very popular in, in, in africa in certain parts of africa in the gambia i think you know i think gambia they love reggae music more than they do in jamaica <laughs> so it's very popular in parts of africa however people don't necessarily um get the true uh, essence of Rastafari due through just listening to, to reggae music, for example. And I would like to see more reggae artists, you know, when they are touring to the, these, these places in Africa, to do more on the continent. And, you know, even like it could be good to go in schools or to go places and educate more people on, you know, the whole the Rastafari philosophies, because they're making a living out of it. They're making money out of it. I'm talking about going on stage and jar and this, that and the other. So, um, you know what it, it's down to them to also to put some of that investment down into in, in in the people and i think that's um that's where you have it popularized in numbers but not necessarily that is is helping in terms it, 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 where it's not necessarily having the impact that it needs to have because people there's more rusters because of reggae music or more people that claiming it but again are these these are just people that are listening to reggae and smoking ganja and, and these kind of things but they're not actually in line with the actual the true values of rastafari in terms of what it means in terms of you know a nation building and black love and you know what and even um understanding the significance of you know highly selassie etc so um i think re reggae music um intentionally was starting to is revolutionary and, and to some elements it still is revolutionary but then it, it, so it, it more needs to go on from there mm -hmm. i think with um bob marley i think he was uh used um he was because a lot of times you know they promote the image that you know the western media so to speak they promote the image of bob marley as just you know the one love you know let's get together and be all right but he also had a revolutionary side of him about marley and that's a side particularly as you know us uh, as Russ is the ones that are more into the black consciousness in that perspective. That's the side of Bob Marley, you know, we love the most. Not this one love Bob Marley and let's right, get right, to the world right. Because right. if you listen to his interviews of, 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 Bob Marley, of Bob Marley, for example, and I think there was one interview when, when this, this white man interviewed him from New Zealand and he said, what, what would I have to be? Um, um, how could I be a Rasta? And he said, you'd have to start all over again. I'll be born over and over <laughs> again. And Bob Marley in his other interviews, yeah, um, he has the revolutionary spirit, even in the song, some of the songs that he's got, you know, like Zimbabwe, um, a song about Zimbabwe, Africa Unite, and, you know, other, other, other songs that Bob Marley sang, Get Up, Stand Up, yeah, but the side of Bob Marley, because Bob Marley is probably the most, the most popular, you know, Rastafari that people know, but the, the side of Bob Marley they promote is not the revolutionary side of Bob Marley, it is, you know, this whole one love side of Bob Marley, so they've used um, Bob Marley and they've twisted him in a way, and I think this is part of the, you know, um, not that it's Bob, not necessarily Bob Marley's fault, but yeah. this is part another part of the reason, I think, for the downfall of Rastafari, right? Because what happens then is particularly, you know, white people are looking at it out and just seeing, you know, Bob Marley or this, this person, he's, this mixed person talking about one love and peace and love, and they like his music, and they, they just become Bob Marley fanatics, and they just come into it because they love, they love reggae and Bob Marley. So right. that's the element that you have. And then you have also... 
a lot of black people, like, like for example, that listen to Bob Marley and they grew up in the 70s and 80s and they just listen to Bob Marley and vinyl record, but they never took anything further in terms of Rastafari. And it's almost like they think he's a team, he's like the um, a leader of, of Rastafari, where Bob Marley is not a leader of Rastafari, right? And he's he's no different than what well, he's, he's a reggae artist, etc. But in terms of his authority, um, it's not, for example, Bob Marley says this about Rastafari, so, so everyone must do this. He doesn't have that authority in Rastafari, right? but a lot of people are looking at Bob Marley as a prophet um, of Rastafari, and I, and I think that's a, a cool, another part of the issue as well. The, um, I was, uh, I saw an, of one, um, in the book, uh, Walter Rodney, uh, The Groundings with My Brothers, he talks he about his time in Jamaica and, um, you know, as a professor at the, I believe, what is it, University of West Indies. And he, um, you know, would go to uh, build with the rosters, or they call it grounding with the rosters. And he, you know, he ended up saying that, um, you know, they taught me just as much as, you know, he taught them, right? And um, I saw um, an interview with the reggae artist uh, Protege one time. And he, they, somebody asked him um, about how he got into reggae music. And then he, he said he was always making music, but uh, somebody ended up giving him uh, some, a few Walter Rodney books. And then, you know, through reading those books uh, and he began to further his studies and became a roster. Um, do you, do, from what you've seen is, Walter Rodney still somebody that uh, you know Rastas hold in high regard as as far as the you know the wanting to study all of his works and make sure you know his studies stay alive. I would say no. I would say there's a lot of Rastas who don't even know who Walter Rodney is. All the book, wow. you know, grounding with my brethren. <laughs> like wow. I would say there's some who know, and there's even, I would say there's even more from people probably from outside the movement that would be familiar. And this is the other thing with Rastafari, which is very interesting because. I find that you have a lot more people, a lot of people as well that are outside of the movement that are more knowledgeable about Rastafari and that I would say that are more truer in Rastafari in terms of you know in line with the values and principles of Rastafari than a lot of people who claim to be Rastafari themselves. Um, so, but going back to Walter Rodney, I would say that, um, yeah, I, I would say a lot of Rastas don't... Um, don't necessarily even know who he is. Some of the ones that are more, you know, conscious, etc. Yes, and they may have read the book and they're more aware of him. But I wouldn't say that he's someone in general that you know what um, Rastafarians um, look uh, look towards. Yeah. Wow. That's you know I never would have thought that, um, but I can understand because I mean, it seems the more things become commercialized as far as you know the public wanting to. Uh, shine a spotlight on just the entertainment aspect of something like how they do with Rastafari, how they did with hip hop and turned a uh, social movement into a business that kind of lost its essence. Right. Um, I, I see how that happens, but I still wouldn't have, I still wouldn't have guessed it if I, if I had to, but um, when it comes to Rastafari and there's no, obviously, you, you touched on this earlier, there's no set um, religion, there's no, there's no, I wouldn't say there's a set philosophy or anything like that either, um, even though it is an anti-colonial movement, um, I think they, all the houses would agree on that, but 
if someone was interested in Rastafari and, you know, they got your book and they read your book and they said, okay, I want to learn more, um, what would you suggest um, and how would you suggest they do that? Well, um, yeah, reading more about my book, I would say, because there's so much that is covered in the in the book of Rastafari. I mean, sorry, in the rise of Rastafari, um, about the different aspects of the book, um, about sorry, the different aspects of Rastafari. So, um, it can also be a great place to start. Like you mentioned, reading the book, and then they can go on and get further information. So, but this this we're in an age now where so much information is accessible in the fingertips. So you can go, you know, you can go for on YouTube and and, and and listen to various elders talking about Rastafari. This information, this is another thing we Rasta must probably because this information. A lot of information, there's a lot of scholars now and scholarship about Rastafari and information on Rastafari that wasn't available like 34 years ago. So with that, we also must move forward with our knowledge and not be stagnant. Right. And now we're in a sense in the days where you can literally just be on your phone. You can go on, you know, the computer. There's so many, even if you go to, you know what, you can go to a Rasta event, yeah, go to a, a reasoning, you know, and, 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 and them kind of things there. And, you know, go to get some books on Rastafari. You can go to, you know, uh, 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 certain events, you know, what in the community. And be, there might be not might, might be my book or other books on Rastafari that you can um, access, maybe in libraries, etc. Speak to Rastafari, um, right. regions, you know, people that you know that are Rastafari and get insight from, from them, for example, for them. But I would say also have a grounded research because... A lot of people are coming from in Rastafari from their particular perspective, like say uh, they're Bobo, so they're going to show you about you know the, a Rasta from a Bobo Shanti yeah. perspective. They're twelve of... tribes, so they're going to show you about Rasta from a twelve tribe perspective. Yeah. And even like something that you mentioned earlier is that you know Rastafari is an anti-systematic movement. Even like say for example, if you speak to a, like a twelve tribe brethren. Yeah, because the 12th are probably out of all of the Rastafari groups the most is the most that have white people in there and the most that integrated in, in people. And I don't want to knock down the 12th tribe, but I'm just saying the way it is, yeah. But in terms of, if you talk to a lot of 12th tribe, they'll say that Rasta is not anti-systematic. It's a movement for just people and them kind of things there. So even within that, in itself, there's, there's a differences because Rasta has got, it's basically, it's gone so far away from the origins to the point where people can't even see it as a black thing anymore. And this is the point where I read the book, is to, to emphasize the fact, because without, you know, if it's not a black thing, if it's not a black liberation thing, there's no purpose of Rastafari, because that's what that's what it was set about for. Or it, that's the foundation. It's, it's like basically you're, you're stripping, you're taking out of the, 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 the reason why something started. And then basically you're, you're putting something else over it and saying that, you know, this is not the real the real thing. And what I'm trying to write, I read the book, part of the reason is to, to, to highlight that point and say, this is a black liberation, a black conscious movement. Yeah, this is not a culture. This is not a, a, just a, a religion where we just venerate highly Celestia's Jesus. This is a black power movement. Now there is significance in terms of you know how we we look at Haile Selassie. Some again, some Rastas see him just as a great king. Some see him as idolizing. Some see him as Jesus. Some see him as God. But people even look at Selassie in a different way. Yeah, and you know, yeah, there are Rastas you know who are black conscious that are into the culture, like the, you know the lobster, vegetarian, and Ita food, whatever. But without the black consciousness, those things, right. There's no, there's those things don't make any point. There's no point in those doing those things. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the, the black consciousness and African liberation is the first and foremost um, 
a point, um, most vocal point of Rastafari, that and identity, because that's the reason why the movement uh, emerged. And you know, this is why I say, well, you know, white people can't be Rastas because it's about identity, us reclaiming our identity. It's about whose identity, um, this is because it's, it's unique to our experience. And, and, and it's about, you know, people, particularly descendants of enslaved Africans, mm-hmm. And connecting with Africa and, and finding you know finding who we are and and, and, and our an identity um, that was lost like our culture our language our traditions and and and, and our knowledge of self and history and all of that kind of stuff and um, to say that we you know we should look at ourselves instead of looking at ourselves as you know slaves and inferior people we should look at ourselves as gods kings and queens etc and that's why the significance the symbolic significance of Haile Selassie but because people are just so into the Bible and perspective they can't see you know, the greatness that Rastafari brings in terms of how Rastafari is beyond the Bible, in terms of, you know, this concept that we created, we created to say that we must have a king, we must have a God in our image, yeah? I don't mean a God is, you know, somebody who's going to make miracles happen or this, that, and the other, because even, you know, the definition of God is different. God doesn't necessarily mean a supernatural being. Or, 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 or So what, what I want to say is this concept, you know, of this, you know, this figurehead or this idol, the head of spirituality, except where, however you want to define it, but it was to say that we must look at, you know, divinity within ourselves. And when we just, I think, turn away and we, and we, we don't understand, you know, how powerful that is. There's something in my book, there's a part where Catherine Howell, who's Lena Howell's daughter, um, what she, she said is like, you know, if, I'm actually going to go away and go away yeah, and read it actually, because I think it's an important part of, um, of the reasoning. Just give me a second. Yeah, so this is it. It's page 54 of The Rise of Rastafari, Resistance, Redemption and Repatriation. Um, Catherine Howe, who's the daughter of Lena Howe, she says, if you can, well, say, I'm going to go to page 53, leading them to page 54. If you cannot worship a God that looked like you, then you have a problem. If you look at the whole scenario, you see that the Indians, they worship a God that looked like them. You look at the Chinese, they worship a God that looked like them. The white man worship a God that looks like him. Why is it that we, black people, can't worship a God that looks like us? And she goes on to say, when anyone takes away your history and takes away the knowledge of self and let you serve a God that don't look like you, they take away your dignity, they take away your nobility, that take away your honour, they take away your pride, they take away your self-esteem, they take away everything that is all about self. He, and how her father, went back to Jamaica and says, we are taking back our power. He took a picture of the emperor, Haile Selassie, to Jamaica and he started preaching liberation and salvation for black people. He took a picture of the emperor and says, this is your God and king. He is your savior. He has given you land in Ethiopia that you can return to. And you no longer have to be in Babylon where the white man subjects you as slaves. Mm. Now, that summarizes what Rastafari is in a nutshell in, in basically in those in statements in terms of saying looking at divinity within ourselves and key things that she says here we are taking back our power this is what I'm trying to say it's we it's us is we create this concept of Haile Selassie as this you know God and King it's because we we did that we realized that the need for ourselves and what he, he said that what he took the picture what it was his preaching he said liber she says this is what he was preaching um power liberation and salvation for black people says it all liberation what black people is about liberation 
the salvation, us finding ourselves, repatriation to Africa. And for who? Black people, not for every people, but black people. And this is basically sums up basically what, you know, what Rastafari in a, in a nutshell is. Um, and you know what? The title of my book, The Rise of Rastafari, Resistance, Redemption and Repatriation is about you know, us resisting white supremacy, resisting colonialism, redemption, us knowing who we are as African people, redemption in terms of, you know what, the, all the, you know, the, the, the things that were taken away from our minds over the last 400 years, reclaiming us and finding out who we are and connecting with our roots. And the repatriation now going on to the continent and the ultimate goal repatriation and you know trying to 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 you know going back or going forward to the you know the place that we originally our ancestral homeland africa and trying to help you know be there in terms of not helping with the development of africa that is what rastafari really is about you know in a in a nutshell wow wow uh very powerful man um I saw an interview on with uh, Muta Babuka, and he said, and he was kind of, and he was having a conversation about Rastas and the Bible, right? And I, and he sounds like he's moving more towards um, a West African uh, like spiritual system, like you mentioned salvation right and so that's kind of one of the things that i thought and you know we we always have you know conversations amongst ourselves as uh you know about these type of matters of um concepts of god and uh religion and where our religion came from and things of that nature um he i think he's making the statement that Rastas and Black people in general need to begin to step away from the Bible. Um, what were your, What are your thoughts on that? I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, there's a chapter in my book that says Rastafari beyond the Bible. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm okay, okay. so, going to so, view, yeah. and he's actually probably you know one of the people in Rastafari that I I, I look up to to the, to the most in terms of a lot of my ideology teachers because yeah, there is different. Uh, we talked about it a bit earlier. There is different beliefs. Some people are more biblical and some are not. Some yeah. are more, you know, pan-African, you know, from a black conscious perspective. I'm I'm not a Rasta who validates it through the Bible. I am um I yeah, I am one of the more from an Afrocentric point of view, pan-Africanist. Um and you know, some so sometimes there is I don't want to say that conflict, but there's that dynamic as well of you know the biblical Rastas and the ones that are non-biblical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um my view is that you know Rasta, we should be more in line. I certainly agree with you know the African spirituality. Not to say that we have to become, I mean, those a specific African spiritual, but we should embrace it. We should, as Rasta, and this is I think because a lot of us, uh, well, a lot of Rastas hold on to the um, Judaic Christian Christian as side of things. When they go to Africa, they can't see certain certain African things they won't embrace because it's not in line with the Bible. Mm. And it holds, and this is the, pro the problem where it holds us back. It's like, we can't be going to Africa. We, we, we're, we're going back there with things that we picked up in the West. And, and then trying to, when we see an African man, you know, talking about ancestor worship or, or, you know, looking at a tree or whatever, not to say we have to do it or whatever, but we almost must have respect and understanding over that as well. We can't just be, you know, like, we want to be like, the, almost like the colonizer itself and then going back to Africa and talk to and going preaching over to them about this, that and the other. But we have to, we should, as Rasta, we really, we should, we're African spiritualists. We should 
whether it's, you know, the different spiritualities that we see, they should be things, as I said before, not to say that we have to become that specific spirituality, but they're, they're things that should be in line with our vibration, in line with our system, in line, because Rastafari is a form of African spirituality, it's a form of, of, of Pan-Africanism. Mm -hmm. So um, I find it odd, yeah, when we have Rast, uh, where with the Rastas, certain Rastas that are in the biblical line, and the way that, you know, they um dismiss certain african things because you know because it's not necessarily in in line with the bible and and i, and I was saying it holds them back from mm. you know that connection with africa as well because they're in, in embedded in something in, in in the bible but you know they're not they're not free thinkers like rastafari when it started it was like these people were visionary they were free thinkers right. it wasn't to be locked down into something into just like the bible and or, and into this that and you must do this you must not do that and i think people need to understand the context of the bible how it came into rastafari right? because you know as i said most um in in you know enslaved africans you know, they obviously Christian through slavery, etc. You know, Christianity came onto them. That's not saying Christianity started at slavery, by the way. I'm not right. saying that, but I said in the way that a lot of them came and found out about Christianity was through slavery. This Eurocentric, you know, version of Christianity. So, uh, what they, you know, what knew, and even into the colonial years, was just the Bible. They didn't have other information that was accessible to them. It's not like today where we've got all of this information and technology. You know, at, literally at our um, at you know, the touch of a button, yeah, it's it, they, a lot of them, for example, they come from the environment, yeah, where they had to go church a lot of times, three times a, uh, a day, yeah. Um, my nan, when she lived in Jamaica, it was she would go church three times a day. If anyone turned, would like, you know, question the Bible or, or anything like that, you were seen as, you know, like you possess the spirit of the devil and, and this, that, and the other, and something has come over to you. So it was not accepted, you know, by the status quo to not be. A Christian and the Bible was the only book that they had that told them about you know life or um, a God or anything and a lot of people don't know that even in Jamaica a lot of these black books were banned at the time a lot of yeah. people didn't have access to certain um, books yeah so the only basically book that they had as reference was the Bible and because they were they were Christians a lot of Rastas were coming out of Christianity from Christianity anyway what they did is they took um, when Haile Selassie was crown emperor they took what they knew which was the Bible and which is all they had yeah. And then they started to go into use verses in the Bible to validate Haile Selassie and say that this is why he is, you know, um, the Lord God of Israel. This is why he is the second coming of Jesus Christ, because it says it in Revelation, because it says it in this quote. And this quote co 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 correlates. So they were using what they had at the time, you know, because people when they when they said, you know, why do you say, you know, Selassie is this is this is this? And why do you say why why should we help Selassie? And they said, well, in the Bible it says, da, 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 and this is right. the scripture that they can give people. Right. So what I'm saying, we must understand certain elders, and there's always been the non-biblical um, side of Rastafari as well. But I would say the biblical um, side of Rastafari is probably is the one that's pushed out the most and put in the mainstream the most. Yeah. But it's important for us, you know, to as, to be critical thinkers and to and to understand the context of the environment of how Rastafari, how the Bible, uh, um, came into Rastafari, and understand that we have a much deeper understanding of things now, right. um, and effectively. So it doesn't necessarily mean we don't need it. And in terms of the, the, the I said the inspiration of Rastafari, it wasn't the inspiration wasn't through the through Christianity or through the Bible. That Bible that was like an afterthought, but the actual inspiration was this black king uh, crowned uh, Haile Selassie, emperor of Ethiopia, um, 
and th that was you know what we should be following the teachings of of, of Rastafari are, are not necessarily this is where a lot of people get confused they're not the teachings of Rastafari are not biblical the teachings of Rastafari are from people like Howell Dunkley Himes the, the, the early founders and a lot of them you know in line with Garveyism and, and the teachings of Rastafari is it, and certainly how it initially started wasn't through the Bible it's, it's through later on then people started to you know go through the Bible and they come down more the biblical element and that weakens the purpose of Rastafari from a black um, conscious level, yeah, from you know, from a Pan African movement, from a black conscious movement, it weakens the thing when we come in, we go into into the into the Bible, and it's very important that you know people understand that. Um, I, I don't, as I said, I don't. I still respect the elders, and you know what, it was revolutionary at the time. We, we need to understand just for you know what done this this you know basically what they blackened the bible yeah. yeah and even though these places were already like egypt and ethiopia already mentioned in the bible mm -hmm. yeah um the preachers in in the church never taught like this is these places like africa there but they're in the bible yeah so right. what rasta did is they looked and they saw oh ethiopia egypt this is a biblical faces and then basically they you know, they had they had this you know this afrocentric version view of you know of the bible as opposed to europe European view that I brought upon yeah. upon them, and that was revolutionary at the time. Really? To say, you know, to say that you know God is a black man, or you, you yeah. know, and or to look at King, your King is a black man instead of you know King George or white image of Christ, yeah. you know, revolutionary at the time. So we must respect Rastafari and the el you know, elders, you know, and realize that you know what they did, what they had based on what they knew. But right. now we know more information, and um, we can't be stagnative. So we must move forward. But we also hail up the elders for you know what for for getting it to a certain state and for you know because of you know what they were facing at the time wow um one thing i i wanted to you know just for the listeners as well um to put things in proper context so we had uh holly selassie in ethiopia who, who i mean they had a monarch monarch and then you had Jamaica that was under what British colonial rule, and then you know, um, so for the people in Jamaica to begin to look outside of Jamaica to see a king, or and, and say we identify with him as the one that's going to liberate us, or. We identify him as the savior in some cases, or the king of kings, while under, while being under British colonial rule. That whole thought to me is revolutionary because that goes to show how anti-colonialism they were, where they they found their king elsewhere, and they looked at, and they looked at Britain like, nah, like this is not, this is not. Um, conducive to our growth and development as Black people. Jamaica was 90% Black. Um, there's no reason to have, uh, uh, you know, this form of colonialism now. And so they they begin to look, look outward. And I know that wasn't the, I know everybody in Jamaica didn't do that. But for the people that did, um, like, what do you think about that? To be under, you know, British colonial rule, but to see your leader especially at that time, right? But uh, where, you know, where it's not before the age of the internet, before the age of, you know, social media where information just flies, then you can 
find anything you want on a, with the Google search. But they looked outside. The Rastas looked outside of British colonial rule and found a leader that was a black man and began to create a story around this black man, whether it was based on 100% truth or some myth or whatever, just, or, you know, they begin to create around the idea of a black king and a black mon monarchy while under British colonial rule. Like, what were you, what is your thoughts on that? Well, it's revolutionary. As we were talking about earlier, I think it was really revolutionary. And we said they, they hadn't, didn't have, you know, the access to information you know, the, the amount of information and, you know, research and, you know, that I've been able to do in Rasta and others, you know, that have written other books on Rasta or people that know now in that time, they didn't have that. So for them to, to for the Rasta fire, particularly the elders in, you know, in the, in the 1930s, you know, that started the movement and even those that came after, it's, um, I, I, I can't hold them up as, um, as, <laughs> there isn't a word, you know, to almost to describe the Helm up as much as credit for what, you know, for what they've done and the, the vision that they had in this, you know, state, in this colonial state of Jamaica, for them to look outside the box and look at this uh, Ethiopian king and, and to say that, you know, for, this is our king. This is not about the King King George. We don't want to pay taxes to King George. And how we said that we should, black people shouldn't pay taxes to King George. And then we should sing the national anthem with Haile Selassie in mind. And he even went to, um, he went to, um, one time when he was being trolled and he said that King George is not my king. My king is Emperor Haile Selassie. So and this, this, you know, this is what Rastafari is. And this is, you know, again, pointing out, the, the, the essence of it in terms of, you know, the, the liberation aspect of it instead of the, the biblical aspect that a lot of people associate. Rastafari, the, the root is coming from, you know, us resisting, um, us as black people resisting, you know, the, the system of white supremacy. Um, and the, that is for, first and foremost um, in Rastafari, um, the, the biblical aspect, the culture and everything after that comes afterwards. But the, the first and foremost, you know, it is about um, black empowerment. Um, and that is, that, that is, you know, Rastafari in its, in its true form. Mm, wow. And so now, um, you know, we've went over a lot about, you know, oppression of, uh, of Rastafarians and Pinnacle and Leonard Howell going to, going to jail a lot and just the oppression period and I was uh, I saw recently I, I, maybe a couple of weeks ago I think the article may have been a year old maybe but um, school system in Jamaica um, cut a young girl's locks off um, who was Rasta and grew up Rasta are, are Rasta still facing persecution in the Caribbean yeah, not as bad as how it used to be, though. Like before, it used to be severe it used to, to the point where, you know, even like just walking on the road, Rastas would have to go into the gullies, and this caused a lot of Rastas to go live up in the hills because mm -hmm. Rastas couldn't walk in like little towns and streets, you know, without being persecuted. People would uh, try and you know take a glass bottle and cut off their locks. Um, people, you know, would um, you know would would chant abuse to them for example or try to attack them so Rastas where did, where did the where did the because these are the this is not just the government right these are some of the people of the oh yeah the old people some of their own family members it, it was the whole 
society was against this movement. This movement, this is sometimes why I feel so much shame in our people. It was this movement that comes to open the eyes of our people, yeah? And it was and it was the people that tried to come to open the eyes of, they were shutting them, shutting them down, yeah? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the one movement that we have that says, you know, uh, uh, we look at God as, as a black man in Africa, just like we, um, that we look at, you know, repatriation, that we look about being, you know, being proud to be black, that, that, that pride is the movement that gets persecuted the most, is the movement that we look down on the most, is the movement that is thought of, you know, as, as something so off, even though it's coming from our own experience and identity. So this is a part of mental slavery that our people have. have. And we talk about, you know, repatriation, um, reparations, and there needs to be reparations to the Rastafari community because it's like we, our people, as Rastafari, we've gone through like another hell on top of on top of slavery. When we look at what our people have gone through, right. and even in even you talk about the Caribbean, like I mentioned, the dread law in Dominica, where man, imagine someone can shoot you on site and kill you if you have locks in your hair, if you're a Rasta with locks in your hair. Like um, I mentioned it earlier, the, the Coral Gardens Massacre in 1963, the government, the, the Prime Minister at the time, Bustamante, said it bring all Rastas in, dead or alive. If the prison can't hold them, throw them on Bogle, which is a cemetery, which means to kill them. Wow. Imagine that. People, when I got eyewitness recordings of people that were beaten in front of uh, in front of Bustamante, the president, at his orders. Yeah, and this Bustamante is a is a so called is a Jamaican national hero. Not so called. He's a he's a Jamaican national hero, um, which has got the recognition, which has got recognition, not for what he did to Rasta, but he, he's he's got that um, accreditation. Yeah, so. This movement, everyone has been again, whether it's from the government to level, the colonial government, even after Jamaica became, you know, so-called independent, the, the, the persecution continued because the Corrigan's massacre where Bustamante, you know, persecuted the Rastas and said, bring the Rastas in dead or alive. That was a year after Jamaica got independence in 1962. Um, and then going into that, after that, it was still oppression on Rastafari. But the government has been against it. You know what? The, um, the society, the family members has been against it. A lot of um, their parents threw them out of the house, you know, with people that that's, turned Rasta in the Caribbean. Because I, I heard a song by uh, Chronix and he was kind of going through like a scenario where uh, uh, a young girl was, um, you know, she, young girl was studying, um, you know, her Bible and, and, and Marcus Garvey and wanting to be a Rasta and like um, in the song, you know, his mother, uh, her mother kicked her out. And so that's a real thing to where family members have disowned their own family for becoming Rasta. And if that is the case, was it, in, was it a lot of anti-Rasta propaganda being pushed out by the government to make, you know, because I understand the government being um, against anything that's anti-colonial, right? But the people, what, what was it that caused the people who weren't Rastas to turn on the Rastas that were in their family? I think one of them is that they held strong religious beliefs and they're very much in line, you know, with the status quo. Because we've got looking at these people that are really in colonized mindsets. So to think anything outside of the box, yeah. As I said, most people, 
you know, what they thought of Africa, they thought Africa was backwards. Yeah, they thought, you know, everything European was the golden standard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they um, they were Christians and they, you know, they were going to church frequently and embedded in the Bible ideology. So for anyone to kind of present something which was different, what, a black king in Ethiopia that, way, that we're looking up to, what kind of madness... These, right. these people how you see god is, a man is god and this so this is a lot of the thinking and then and then you have so you have that as, aspect of it for example where people were not were against anything you know that wasn't there particularly spirituality or christianity because it also you have examples of people of people that just work that maybe just turned away from christianity mm-hmm. and that were also disowned as well that maybe not even rasta but just because they weren't into christianity and they got disowned etc so there's that element of you know what the, the spirituality that was ingrained in the people and then this is presenting you know a different kind of spirituality and, and at a time where people um basically were you know looking up to you know the royal family and the white christ and everything and that and, and what they thought of africa was you know jungles and backwards and all of that kind of thing so um and then people just saw it as as, as, as a bit mad because you know these people that are you know, worshiping man and god and that stuff and then you have misconceptions of Rastafari, such as, you know, what people seeing without getting the understanding of what it is and to spending time out, you know, to find what Rastafari is, just associating it with, you know, aspects, maybe like ganja or just associating it with, you know, people, like poor people or this, like the other, which isn't necessarily a true reflection or people that behave in a certain way, which doesn't necessarily reflect all Rastafaris, mm. um, all Rastafarians as well. But... Some people that are, are seeing people who portray, claim to be Rasta, but are not, you know, don't like, because are not necessarily upholding to the values of Rastafari, but that's what they they, they see as, as Rastafari. Right? Um, I think that's another element, but I, I, don't, I think it's a lot of, it was, again, particularly back then, it was the, the way that most black people thought about themselves as, as, as black people and African. Um, and you know, again, the inferiority complex of our people, um, and how they looked at the, how they, um, you know, looked on things that you know, African, because they didn't want to associate being African. They didn't want to associate. Yeah, we, um, it, was, it was, yeah, Well, yeah, you still get it now, but even then, it ran <laughs> rampant. So um, now, it's interesting. Rastafari is looked of, in, and sometimes, sometimes, even in still people, a lot of people look at it negative, but a lot of people still. Look at it. Look at it a bit slightly differently in terms of you know because a lot of the things that Rastafari is saying is now coming and now people understand it in terms of you know black unity and black love and and ironically the things that Rasta was saying in the thirties and the forties people who were people were just like oh you're Rasta you 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 fool people and you and then this that and the other and now a lot of people are saying these things even if they're not even though they're not Rasta but a lot of people are just saying these things in general about what black black people must be doing in terms of economically empowered and building a nation and these kind of things so. Uh, one, thing, uh, one thing I wanted to kind of bring up, though, and just especially uh, from, you know, things that you you've already kind of spoke on. Um, I've noticed that in Western media, a lot of times whenever they portray like a Rasta in like a movie. Right. And, the, and a lot of times he's either either like a gangster or he's like a lazy ganja smoker, right? Which is crazy because what we just talked about this whole this whole conversation we've had is that it is a, a movement about liberation. Um, do you think that a lot of these uh, 
you know, do you think this is purposely done, I would say, to miscategorize Rasta Farai as as something um, that like take let's take the liberation movement aspect out of it, popularize the weed smoking, and then um, the eventually the people will forget. The, the people will, and it'll be something that we can commercialize and make money from, right? Because, you know, what I've known from white people, regardless to what it is, um, if it's a movement that they can co-op, they will co-op and then they will also try to find a way to make money off of it. Same way they do with, you know, people like Dr. King and all these other, you know, heroes within the Black world that they capitalize off of do you think eventually or even is it happening now that the powers that be are a big part of the reason why the liberation aspect of rastafari is being separated from the image of rastafari completely um because obviously the mainstream doesn't want to pray, doesn't want this revolutionary black power movement you know, to rise up to free black people. They just want, you know, you know, people in the system going to jobs and going to work and coming back and that replies with your black, white or whatever. They don't want free, you know, um, critical thinkers or <laughs> people that are challenging the status quo, people, particularly Africans who are thinking outside of the box. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the commercialization of Rasta, yeah, it, it's into a point of some, it, it, it's, it has been done and it, um, when you look at, say, the, a lot of either products of Rastafari, you know, white people, Asian people are making a lot of the money off of it, like the, whether it's the merchandise, you know, that, that that's, it gets done, whether it's through reggae festivals, through the, through the music, Bob Marley, you get me? Like, the, like I think there's a, a, a gig, there's a, um, there's a Bob Marley concert that's going on in uh, London currently at the moment, but, you know, who's making money out of that kind of thing? It's mainly going to be white, it's all white people. When they did a film, Bob Marley, um, uh, his his film that um, that was talking about his life example. Yeah, yeah, I know. It wasn't a black director that, that, that filmed it. There's white people that are making the ones that are going to be making money from it. So Rastafari has been commercialized uh, in a way, basically, where the whether it's the the merchandise in the Rastafari, like the red, gold, and green. Um, whether it is the you know the through the reggae, whether it's even through the, the ganja, because now the first ganja was you know it, in Jamaica they was all these they, they put laws against it etc. And now you see America oh um and they they changed a lot of the laws now on ganja in in, in America and legalizing it and it's been decriminalized in, in Jamaica. But it's not Rastas that uh, that are you know even though Rastas have you know have, have popularized you know the smoking of ganja and the herb etc they're not rustas that are really profiting on it in terms of how these big companies are right. but in in you know in america in jamaica and in jamaica and places so the rasta has been um basically even the the things the parts of the culture whether it is the uh the music whether it's the, the cold clothing whether it is you know the the smoking of the herb ganja it's still commercialized to a point where people outside are, are making you know money off of it and it's to the point where as well that the the black consciousness um po- po- point of rastafari isn't being yeah. put into any consideration or looked at because there's people that buy you know red gold and green um t-shirts white people asian people who don't even know what that stat what, what you know what 
putting a red, gold, and green uh, Rastafari out um, t-shirt on, or you know, or, or top on, what that represents and what that means as someone who's Rasta or Rasta, but they just see it because they like the colours and they like wearing it, and then that will be designed you know, by someone in China, or or or, or, or it will be and it'll be and it'll be sold. You know, you can go even to like you know um, a, 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 a big a big um, business that's owned you know by a corporate white company, yeah. Um, so the local everyday person. This people are not really benefiting from a from a lot of well, well a lot of the people are benefiting the most are, are are people from the outside and 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 that's why I use the ganja as as, as a prime example um, and um, yeah the clothing and also the music because you know the music a lot of the reggae festivals like you know um, the people that make the, the money off of these festivals um you know when the artists go to italy and go to spain or whatever yeah the artists get some money but you know how the, the, the people that are putting it on and you know the white people these white venues that they're going to and organizing it and some the regular artists and the white managers etc and the industries um you know the label companies that they that they that they sing music for a lot of them are like owned by white people right right we'll call kofa brother it's been a um Amazing conversation. If you can um, show everybody the book again, I'm going to drop the link in the description as well. The Rise of Rastafari. I'm about to cop that as well. Um, I, I definitely appreciate um, just the perspective because, like you said, there's um, been an attack on Rastafari from several different directions. Obviously, one um, politically, but the image has been. Um, you know, attacked by various different angles. So it's definitely good to to hear, you know, uh, the real from a Rasta himself, man. So once again, I thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. I just want to add something as well before we go, because you actually mentioned image. And I think this is important, something that I reckon, recognize in the book, because how people look at Rastas, they just think a lot of times people just think Rastas, you know, are like, are scruffy people, you know, that have got long beards and they've got locks or whatever, and their parents and uh, people even someone might looking at me might who, do, who doesn't know about Rasta might say because I don't have locks or whatever I think oh you're not a Rasta at first because I don't have locks for example, but I, I mentioned this earlier the people that started the movement like the Howlites they didn't have locks but also the way that they dressed yeah is very different and important because. These people, like for example, Leonard Howell was a man who wore the three-piece suit. He was a man yeah. who, who walked around in a suit and tie. Like, and like, and and I think there's a part of my book where um, Catherine, her, his daughter, says that you know, anytime you know, all the, the people out there at Pinnacle, they're always so well dressed, the Howellites, and wow. and who were the first Russians, and and how you never see Leonard Howell without his like his little him jacket, and he looks so well dressed and so nice. So when Rusters as well have this imagery of like unkept hair and look so scruffy and this that and the other it's like these kind of also that's a bit against the odds like i again what actually rustified is or when people are like oh bar, oh yeah bar led and and you want to with the dress like this because of the babylon system but again what has that built like because i can tell you what the founders of the rust movement we talk about i can say what they've done they the pinnacle the most self-sufficient community so with all of this lots, with all of this vegetarianism, with all of this, like, you know, this scruffy appearance and the look like that, for example, 
what, what's it done? What, like, what's it done? And this is the problem. The thing we must look at Rasta beyond just the appearance of someone and, you know, what the works, what actually works is he's doing. And I always thought it was a strange thing because I had lots and I, I don't have lots now, but I used to have lots. But I always thought it was a strange thing anyway, because in, in some aspects, because of uh, contradiction, one element, because, you know, highly um, Selassie is the emperor's hair. You see, he doesn't have lots, and he's and he's the people that a lot of them were, a lot of them will say that they worship him as God, yeah. And actually, if you look at the picture of Haile Selassie, how much close does he look like me? How much does he look like? It's almost he's almost it's almost identical to me. His face, like, and what my my girlfriend, I remember, I had a girlfriend at the time, and I showed her this picture, and she said she thought this was me, but when but when I'm older. Mm. she literally thought this was me but when I'm older because of how much he looks like me mm. so why would if, if this is the person central to the movement why would I change my appearance to be to look different than you know the person who's you know the person that is meant to be the idolizer as it the person idolizing the movement so I always find it odd like sometimes when like that when people like for example they say that oh particularly ones that are like oh Russ is all about the teachings of his majesty and 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 and, and all of that and following that but then if that was the case Haile Selassie, when he was crowned emperor in 1935, Haile Selassie never told no one to follow him. Haile right. Selassie was a Christian who even sent um, an, an archbishop to baptise Rastafarians in Jamaica. If it was if, we, if it was all about the teachings of Haile Selassie, people wouldn't even be Rasta, they would just be Ethiopian Orthodox Church, because right. Haile Selassie wasn't a Rasta. So people don't understand that the, the, the Rastafara is not just about the teachings of Haile Selassie and the Bible, but it doesn't denigrate Haile Selassie's importance to the movement. Mm -hmm. But people must understand that when Haile Selassie was crowned, we, people didn't know what he, he believed or you know what, what he was or Christian. People just followed him because he was a black man, king, king uh, and emperor of Ethiopia. And this is how you can prove that you know Rastafari is not just about the, if it, the teachings of Haile Selassie and following it, because if that was the case, most Rastas, people that claim Rasta, they wouldn't have lots because Haile Selassie doesn't. They wouldn't smoke ganja because Haile Selassie doesn't. And they wouldn't eat vegetarian food because Haile Selassie doesn't. And the most important people in the movement, um, Haile Selassie, Le Lena Howell, and Marcus Garvey. Yeah, even though Marcus Garvey wasn't a Rasta, but a lot of his teachings are in line with it, none of them had lots. Mm. And Prophet Gad, who's also uh, from 12th tribe of Israel, one of, the, um, another, uh, one of the groups of Rasta leaders, he didn't have lots. So what I'm trying to say is I find it kind of weird where, where a lot of time, a lot of, and this is something mainly from people outside the movement in, not, not necessarily people in the movement, how people always point in this kind of like small bracket of people, particularly of, of the way people look at Rasta. And a lot of Rastas don't even highlight the fact that, you know what, that the people actually that started the movement didn't have lots and they didn't actually you know, dress or look the same way that you did. So it seems that a lot of Rastas that have, how the movements, have, um, I don't say involved, have changed, is that the people have kind of ignored the people at the beginning, the, uh, the, the, the people that, that founded it or the, or the, um, the early uh, elder Rastas. And you have Rastas that have come in the 70s and the 80s later on. <coughs> And have changed Rastafari in a way in terms of their appearance, in mm. terms of certain things, their eating, in terms of their habits, and have claimed that is the real Rastafari, but they've ignored the origins, you know, the root, and actually, you know what, what you know what the what the, the original Rastas were. Um, I, I ask anyone of you now, go look at Lena Howell, go look at the Howellites and you'll see, and I see these recordings, you'll see there are people that didn't have locks. But most people, when they look at Rasta, they think everyone has has to have lots not necessarily Russians themselves but people outside so <clears throat> this is something important that also people need to have a that must come to pass that it's much more beyond 
you know what, just an, a, an appearance, a physical thing, or what a man eats, um, or whether someone smokes or not. Indeed, indeed. So we're, uh, I'm also, I'm, a, I'm definitely going to put the link in the uh, description for the book. Um, but how, if you know, where can uh, people find you if they want to follow you on social media? So social media, uh, my name McConnell Sankofa. Um, can, can look at it there, McConnell Sankofa. Um, I'm available on uh, Facebook. Um, you can find me on Facebook, or you can find me on Instagram uh, as well. So that's that's the probably the best places to get me on social media. Well, brother, I definitely like again. I definitely appreciate you for coming through. Your platform's always open. If you ever want to come back. I'd love to have another conversation with you. Thank you very much for having me, man. It's been a pleasure. No doubt, man. You have a good evening. Okay, man. Take care.